Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. Beauties, time to turn the volume on your car radio up. Pump up the sound on your phone. Wherever you are listening to the show, you are not going to want to miss a word. We are rethinking and reimagining sex, sexuality, and relationships with sexpert Dr. Juliana Hauser. A licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Hauser is a PhD in counseling education and a pro in helping women and men understand their sexuality and how it affects every aspect of our lives, our view of ourselves, our relationships, and the world. If you are thinking to yourself, what's sex life? If you are looking to reignite a spark in yourself or relationship, if you want a new sex life after a divorce or death, or if you're simply sex curious and want to learn from a pro, stick around. This show is for you. Welcome, Juliana. Thank you so much. I'm excited to have this conversation with you, Katie. Yeah, I am really thrilled. Um, I, I've had the chance to actually talk with Juliana before. Uh, I've met her through a mutual friend. We got to have dinner one night. We were on a panel this past week led by uh, Kendra and Revel about um, sex and intimacy. I know her to be such a, like a wonderful, um, knowledgeable, compassionate to- uh, expert on this subject. So I'm th- really thrilled uh, to share you with our listeners today. Juliana, you help clients rethink and reimagine sexuality. What are the top issues that clients come to you with? Yes. So it, there's a variety of things. It, it honestly depends on gender and if they're in a relationship or not. But usually four things really come to mind. One is that they just want to know if they're normal, uh, whatever. And I don't love the word normal, but if, if what, what they're going through, is this common or is this something different or something they should be alarmed about? They want to normalize what their experience is because there's not a lot of information out there. So how do we find out if what we are thinking and feeling is okay? So I hear that. Um, I have a lot of people that ask me questions about finding pleasure and orgasm. Um, people who are partnered, if they have a mismatched desire, and people who are in a transition in their life and ready to reclaim their sexuality, like you were speaking in the intro, um, and wanting to have an elevated sex education. So let's start with mismatched desire. If you're in a partnership with somebody, be it a spouse or just a, a simply a romantic partner, and you're Libido and sex drive feels like it's out of whack. How do you counsel patients to address that in the bedroom? The first thing that I do is to say, we need to step back and look at desire in a different way and not from a medical model, but to see it coming at us holistically. So I don't use the word libido. I really use the word desire. And and no one comes to me or I don't come across people that say, you know, I have the perfect amount of desire. Like, I, like It's perfect. <laughs> Everyone thinks that they have too much or too little, or they're wondering if they do, because there's this, this definition that somewhere, somewhere out there said that there's a perfect way to feel connected to your sexual arousal and desire. And it's, it's ridiculous. So we start with that, which is you get to decide how you want your relationship with desire to be. And I don't use the word high or low. I, I really just like speaking into like, how are you feeling about it? And my sex drive may be different than yours, but we're both happy with it. And that's what matters, not if it's high or low. So if you're partnered with somebody, then we have to talk about, so how does each person want to feel in their connection with their desire? How are they ind- individually feeling about it? And then how do we get that connected? And I try to really find optimism for the couple. 
Um, because that's, that's part of the problem too, is we, it seems like how in the world we are oceans apart. How are we ever going to find this back to one another? And I, and again, I, I we, we work, we rework it. And then I asked them to look at the vibrancy in their life. What is it that's bringing a spark to their joy, to their pleasure outside of sexual connection and outside of their relationship? And what is bringing them vibrancy? Where, where in their life are they the most vibrant? And those answers are always really fascinating. And at first clients will be reticent. I'm like, why are we doing this? <laughs> why, why are we talking about my trapeze class makes me feel alive. <laughs> and, and really it's, it's so important to understand because we can get in ruts in our life, especially the older we get, we are so busy and we are so, our interests are spread out that we forget that there is a wonderment in life and a joy in life that really starts with within. And if you can be responsible for your own vibrancy and find space for yourself to find joy and pleasure, then there is a clear link with your desire. So we get at that. We had those conversations. We really work on connection outside of that and getting tuned into each other's vibrancy and tuned into what feels spark, I call it sparky inside of you. And then we look at, okay, so how do we on your own as a couple, define what feels right for the couple relationship and desire and arousal. A lot of times people will talk about initiation, that they think whoever initiates sex and sexual connection is the one who has the most desire. And that's, that's actually not true either. So I really try to educate people on what we're really speaking of. And again, with most things within sex and sexuality, we're not sure we're even talking the same thing. We use the words, but we don't really define them or look at the concept. And that's the same thing with when we're looking at desire. So after that, we start looking at safety. I have found safety to be a really big component to people being even interested in having sexual connection. And I don't know. What do you mean by safety? safety. What do you mean by safety? Yeah. So I'm not speaking about physical because that's obviously a baseline, but I mean, so I love asking the question, what makes you feel safe in a conversation? What makes you feel safe in a relationship to show up authentically of who you are? And again, it's really interesting. People answer it differently. I have couples that have been together 30 years and they cannot answer that for the other person. Like, I don't know, I guess be nice. (laughs) I guess that way. Well, what does being nice mean? Well, I I can't, and lose being clear about what your partner needs to feel safe with you, to open up, to be vulnerable, to surrender, to communicate what they want and don't want is enormous and often overlooked. So we talk about safety. Each person um, decides what they need in the relationship and in the, in the interaction. They communicate it clearly to the other and then make sure they understand it. And we put it to practice. All of this happens before we're even talking about sexual connection. We set the stage in that way. Uh, and I, I really encourage everyone to ask themselves what they need to feel safe. And um, in, in the context of you have to have a bit of surrender and vulnerability in order to have sexual connection. So then, then we talk about, and I ask this too, so are you all good at sex? Do you all like how you have sex with each other? Do you like sexual? Do you have just a couple things you do and, and like one move? That's the way to do it. Or uh, do you have like a, a repertoire of things that you can choose from? And uh, and that also, if you've been with somebody a long time, it can be difficult. You don't want to hurt their feelings. Just say, you know, I actually, oh, I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't love the way we kiss. And you don't say, I don't love the way you kiss. You don't do the blame. You say we, um, and that can be difficult. And then I work. I can only alone. imagine. How would you have those conversations with somebody you've been thirty years? Like I would love to hear these 
suggestions or prompts that you offer to people to have this kind of conversation, which feels very vulnerable, as you alluded to. Like, how do you have that conversation with uh, a partner you've had forever? And how do you have that conversation with somebody who's brand new? Yeah, exactly. It is. It's very different compared to someone new and, and someone that's been long term. If it's if it's long term, you you have to have a team approach to it. And as I said, like, it, it's the small things like saying we. But also um, it is like, let's let's look at this as a phase of curiosity. And, and I've said this you know, to you before that I, lo- I love the sound of orgasm and I love the sound of huh. And huh, that sound of huh is a place of curiosity. And that is going to be the key of changing things in a long-term relationship. But let's be curious about changing things. Let's change things up and let's have a very safe conversation about things that are working and things that aren't working or things that we'd like to try to change versus things that we want to really protect and feel sacred between us. And if you both have that commitment to not taking things personally, but really doing things to benefit the team, then that opens you up for things that you haven't been able to say for a long time. And if you hire someone, uh, a (laughs) third party, someone like me, then I can ask and I can say, all right, so let's just put it out there. How do you feel about your kissing? I always ask couples about their kissing. I think it's really a canary in the mind. And it tells me a lot about the couple's sexual connection when I ask them about their kissing practices and their and their experience with kissing. Um, and then I'll ask them individually, do you feel skilled at oral sex? Do, do you feel like your partner is skilled at oral sex? And what are the best things that you like about what they do in, in specificity? Um, and, and that can help too to kind of have an excuse and someone else asking it for you. And then I had this exercise that I call the four quadrant exercise. And this is also a beautiful way to introduce this conversation to a partner that's uh, long-term, but you can also do it um, with someone you've just met. And I'll get back to answering that question too, about what to do about um, having those conversations with somebody new. But the four quadrant exercise is is a favorite of mine. Um, And you just have a a piece of paper that you put in uh, a line vertical and horizontal, and you have four different topics. The one is like at the top left is sex acts that you have done that you want to try again and do again. Sex acts that you have done that you think you're done with. Like I think I think I've done. <laughs> you're my, like my that's done. This. We're not. We're not. Yes. That's over. That's over. Yes, <laughs> we have passed that phase in life. Uh, <laughs> sex acts that you haven't done that you're like you know that sounds pretty good. I think I'm gonna let's try that. Let's see. And then sex acts you haven't done that you feel like, yeah, that feels still like a no or like a yuck to me. So you go, you have these four quadrants and, and then you have a really wide list and range of sex acts and everything from uh, kissing your hand to sucking toes to the most deprived sex act you could ever think of. And you, you want to have at least 40 sex acts to choose from. Wow. And, and then you go through each, each of the quadrants and you put them there. And if you do this, if you're a single, you, this is very valuable to be able to do your yeses and your noes. I call them yucks and yums that you look at like, yeah, and this is just, just this moment in time. This is just what you're thinking right now. It could change in a week or in two years. And it definitely was different than three years ago. So you don't, you're not setting this in stone. It's just a check-in of what do you want uh, and what do you need in your life? And then if you're coupled up, then your partner does that as the exercise as well. And then you set a safe environment for you to go over the topics. Um, and when I'm working couples um, through this exercise, then we do lots of practicing of how to, how to respond in an affirmative way, how to monitor your face so that you don't shut down your partner. 
um, and how to kind of emotionally regulate so that you don't feel hurt um, by your partner's um, reactions if there's anything that surprises you. And to set the tone that this is fun. This is really a beautiful thing. And it's it's always exciting to me when I meet somebody personally or professionally who is interested in finding out what they want and what they don't want. Because I know that that desire then changes to really expanding who they are as a sexual being and brings them closer to a much more fulfilling and meaningful long-term um, sexuality and sex life. I love this. I love, I want to, we're going to have to head into a quick commercial break, but when we come back, I want to ask you a little bit about what happens when y- your partner wants something that's a yuck for you. And then I also want to dive into how do we increasingly have agency in our sex and intimate life? We'll be back after this quick break. You know, I'm all about aging without apology. So I was thrilled to connect with Electra Health, a company focused on smashing the taboos around menopause. This female founded brand is all about evidence-based menopause expertise and care. No pseudoscience allowed. If you've ever been to a doctor's appointment that lasted just five minutes and you found yourself with a million more questions than you started with, you're not alone. Electra is here to make menopause care easier to understand, more accessible, and much more supportive. They offer a real metamorphosis, which is also the name of their platform. Electra's metamorphosis community offers educational resources, tips, and science-backed solutions for managing menopause alongside a private community of women. Your membership includes regular community events and discounted online visits with Electra's clinicians. And the Member Plus program even offers unlimited access to a personal Electra guide. Think of her as a menopause doula. Electra has an amazing offer for certain age listeners, 25% off its Metamorphosis program. Use code Katie25 at checkout. Head to electrahealth.com to jumpstart your holistic menopause journey. Or find the VIP link in our show notes over on acertainagepod.com. Juliana, we headed into the break and you shared your four quadrant exercise, which is a wonderful device to really identify maybe what you're into and what you're not into, and then compare it with your partner. You know, I'm assuming that if you're both excited about the same things, you're on the right track. What happens when there is a yuck that might be your partner's yum, when there's that mismatch there with with desire and interest about a particular Mm -hmm. sex act? Yes, it's such a great question. And it's one of the reasons why couples don't even get into this topic because they're afraid of how to navigate it. So what you want to do is you check in with yourself uh, when you have something vulnerable to share. And if you know that this is something that probably is going to be a difference between the two of you, then you name it. And instead of this being something that's terrifying, it's like, so here's, here really is a place where we can learn and grow. And I know we can do this together. That's the attitude you need to have. Both of you need to have. And even if you need to use those words, that's powerful too. And and put your... Um, it's helpful to put your partner on alert too. like, Hey, this is something vulnerable. And this is something that I want us to kind of both be on alert for and looking at this as in like, so this is a difference, but this isn't the worst thing in the world. And we are going to have to compromise on this. We're not, if if we are, if there is a definite difference, then someone's needs are not going to be met. And is it a need or is it a want? And that makes a difference too. And 
then we just, we negotiate. What does this mean? No one should be coerced into doing something that they don't want to do. And so that's a, a, the number one rule. And after that, it's like, is there wiggle room to perhaps um, do some research? For instance, if I have uh, a couple, one person is really interested in um, something called shibari, which is the Japanese art of tying ropes and and silks. They're like, this sounds great. And their partner's like, what the what? Like, what are you? <laughs> like, I just Googled that. And no, like, so that, that's not how we want to respond. But it's okay if that's a natural reaction. And, sure. and if you do say something like that, then you're like, okay, let me, let me back up and say, huh, okay. I'd like to learn more about that. Um, let's let me ask questions like so. What feels interesting for you about this? And that's different than like what? Why you are a freak? Like, yeah, obviously, like, right. Like, sh- don't, like shutting it down. I love because I love your yes. suggestion of using of embracing the the um, the word, huh? You know, like huh? Tell me more about that because it also gives you a, it buys you some room to think about it, and and you might learn something that. Uh, makes it feel more interesting or palatable to you or, or probably provides the avenue to have the um, negotiation. You know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe that one thing's not for you, but something that's similar to it might be. Yes. And I'll give a specific example, just since I started with Shibari, that I um, was working with a couple and, and they gave me permission to um, to share this, that he really wanted to try this. He thought it looked so cool. He thought it was really interesting. And he had um, a background of tying knots as a sailor. So she saw it, she looked it up and she had a background, uh, an experience of having sexual trauma. So to her, looking at the knots, being tied up and feeling um, constrained looked scary. And it made her look at him like he was terrible for wanting to do this to her. So this was a no, and this was really disappointing. And when we got to it, it was like, is this a need or is this a want? And he said, it's a want, but I am, I'm concerned that she thinks that I am being oppressive by wanting to do this. So as we got further in the discussion, what, what he was saying to her is actually what I've learned about this community, what I've learned about this is that there's so much trust involved. And actually what I would love to do is have this experience that you can trust me so fully that we can have this experience together. And for her, that, and again, that may not land for some people, but for her, that actually did land. So they together started doing research. She did some on her, on her own, and then they started looking at things together. And it, she decided that she was okay with some of it. So she had some clear no's that it's not going to go this far, but I'm okay with trying this. And they started using the language that he was speaking of, of trust. And throughout that process, it really grew to be something that she actually ended up wanting more than he did. He, he, he wanted to try it a couple of times, and then he was done. But she was like, oh, actually, I love this experience of opening up to you. And, the, and it felt like a healing process to have a man that she did trust and love actually speaking and whispering to her things of safety. Now, again, this may not land for some people, but for them, what was important about it was it was such a hard no for her. And she did hold silent judgment about him for wanting this. She shut him down completely. And he felt bad about himself and, and didn't want to ask for other things and wasn't so open to her either in reciprocity. But because they were able to open up to some curiosity and some maybes in their yucks and yums, and it actually opened up. That's such a beautiful outcome. Yeah, such Mm -hmm. a beautiful outcome. And I love the the fact that they were able to have a conversation because I'm sure that 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 the open lines of communication between sex partners is probably like the number one thing that 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 makes your sex life work and hum. And 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 and, um, yes. But you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about 
was you had said on that quadrant exercise, which is genius, and you just shared something with me that I've never heard of, which is this Japanese practice. You said, come up with 40 different types of sex acts. And I'm sitting here thinking like, my inner voice is like, oh my gosh, (laughs) (laughs) your sex life is more vanilla than you think it is. I'm like 40. So, So for somebody who's having this reaction like me, like, huh, I've got like five. Where would you recommend that they start to explore? Because you, you said at the beginning that one of the things that people come to you for is to have to maybe light a spark in their, their own selves, you know, beyond just mm. a partner. So if you're looking to learn more about what's available with intimate life and sort of sex life, where would you recommend? Is it is it sex toys? Is it therapy? Is it just hitting the Google? You know, where can we learn more if we're interested in exploring this at this phase of our life? Yeah, I mean, we fortunately live in an era where we have more access to education like this. But I still think we are owed an apology for not being properly sex educated. So where do you go? You go where it feels the most natural. For a lot of people, it is Google that you start researching articles. And there are a lot of quality articles out there that give you hints on on what what you can even try. Um, and people giving their firsthand accounts of what things felt like for them or details of different communities. Then there are, like there's chat rooms. So let's say you find a particular sex act or thing that you're interested in. You can Google that and you'll find communities talking about it, discussion boards. You'll Again, you'll find articles. And, and then you have to have your own discernment. Um, does this fit for you? Just because this is, again, like a, a yum for somebody, it doesn't mean that it's a yum for you. Um, and but I don't think it's harmful to to cull the information and to see, OK, the more I know, the more educated I am, I can feel more comfortable and I can jump into vulnerability in this. Um, I think sex toys are a beautiful way to get to know how your body works and how it receives pleasure. Um, there are so many toys out there and you want to just see what's like what your body likes. And also think about sex toys that aren't just for your genitals, that there are other parts to your body that you may enjoy, either putting those sex toys on or um, doing sex toys that that pay attention to other parts as well. Um, Definitely therapy um, can make a big difference. I I have this thing called a sex plan that I run uh, people through, singles and couples. And really the premise for the sex plan is that things aren't broken. I never see anyone as broken. What we do is we need to plan for having our sexuality be a priority in our life, just like we do our financial planning, just like we do our um, our retirement or our nutrition. And having that be the, the way that you look at this, you have to prioritize who you are as a sexual being in order to start look, having any, any of that information make sense to you. Otherwise, you're just kind of doing a buffet and not hitting in what really we're looking for in a holistic way. So do the research. Do the research and make the plan. And you know, but, but for midlife yes. women, mm-hmm. you know, we we have things that um, you know can sort of get in the way. Sometimes we're experiencing body changes. We have perimenopause, menopause, which affects your um, your hormones, your mood, your mindset, your relationships. We might have changes to our body um, with weight gain. We might have gone through different kinds of, you know, there's breast cancer, there's you know, hysterectomies. Women are dealing with changing bodies. How do you work with clients who might be thinking to themselves, like, I just don't feel sexy or I'm, I'm afraid I'm not sexy? What would you say to them and what is some coaching? 
And society tells me I'm not sexy. That's true. Too. It's like, <laughs> you know, all, all the way around, everywhere we turn. Pop culture. <laughs> yeah. We're not, yes, I know. I mean, right, exactly. You go from being this like desirable babe in your youth, you know, or to like to less of a babe. And, 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 and pop culture wants you to feel bad about yourself and attempts to diminish you. So how, how do you help women with, with shifting their mindset? Because your brain is your biggest sex organ. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've heard the expression that what happens inside the bedroom happens outside the bedroom. And it, it's such a powerful phrase that that is the embodiment of my work as well. Wait, can you say that so phrase we, again, Juliana, Julian, because I missed what, it. Yes, what happens inside the bedroom happens outside the bedroom and vice versa. So that is the foundation of a lot of my work. So when people come to me with their challenges, we look at where it's not challenged. So when we're talking about feeling sexy in our life, it's pretty similar to desire. I like to step back and say, what does sexy even mean? What does that mean to you? Not not what the newspaper says, the magazines, media, not, not what it used to feel like for you, but right now, what does sexy mean? And more often than not, what I hear from women is, you know, I'm so frustrated because I actually feel better about myself now internally. Like I feel more in charge of myself. I have more agency. I have more freedom in my life. Yet, the outside isn't matching that. Or I do feel comfortable in my body, but the world doesn't see that in the same way. And the world doesn't want me to embody my sexiness and my confidence in the same way. And what do I do about that dissonance? And for me, where we begin is, okay, so then let's go back to defining sexy for yourself. And, And I love calling it like, let's find your sexy. And that could be something that is uh, cerebral, that is who you thinking, who you are intellectually, that you're feeling really good in your career, really good in the family that, that you have formed. And how, what, is that, what are the characteristics of that? So sexy doesn't mean that you have to have this great bra set, although that may be a part of it, but it can be that you just feel really comfortable in your skin. And that feels amazing to you. So what does that feel like when you, when you are feeling comfortable in your skin? What is that humming that you have inside of you? And we, we really fine tune those feelings in our body. And then we translate that to finding that in your body for yourself. So looking at your self-pleasure practice and looking at what do I like? What do I like about my body? What, what feels good? It's not just feeling good on your genitals, although that's a really important part of it. But looking at like, where does it, what feels good on, on my breasts, on my hair? I love it, helping people find these different kind of touches. Um, and I, I extract this from a really basic tantric exercise, which is there's four ways to look at touch in your life. And so we look at the different rhythms and look at the different um, pressure that you put on it. And again, not just on your genitals, but everywhere. And when you can activate pleasure in your life and joy in your life, then that really also leads to sexy and feeling sexy. Now, what can we do about not feeling great about uh, the aging that's happening in our body? I think. Part of it is I don't love the like, radical body acceptance. I, I think that that can actually feel harmful to some, that they want to feel so radically great about their body, but they don't get there. And so then they feel worse about, I can't even do that. I think what we do is we practice body compassion. And what, and, is, what does body compassion look like to you? Mm-hmm. And, and the studies have shown that that is the, actually the number one thing to change the way that you feel about your body. And body compassion is, okay, so... I don't love this part of myself. Let's talk about this. Let's let me accept it. Let me send it love and let me see where where this um, continues in in my body. And is there a pathway of my thought process about it? So, for instance, 
um, I don't love, uh, someone doesn't love their C-section scar, that that just feels awful to them. How do we, and, and they're embarrassed to have like a new lover, they, they're divorced and, and a new lover is going to see this about them. Well, what are they going to think uh, that, they, that, that's, that has a scar to it? Well, can we have compassion for this part of our body? Can we look at the beauty of this bringing a child into the world? Can we look at this being a, a roadmap to I have I've been through something hard and beautiful and what does that mean to me and then how can I reassess my relationship with that and then that that again that example is different for every person but we send it love we reframe it and we allow ourselves to have grieving that's a normal part of it and we allow ourselves to not have this perfect acceptance of it but we have compassion for how it got to this place and not a lot, not having it to be this perfect thing in our life. And so you you alluded to like doing this with a new partner. You could obviously do it with your existing partner. You, by the way, you should be doing this with yourself to begin with. I mean, we should all feel compassion and love and respect for our bodies. So I, I love that this is a suggestion. Even if your sex life's humming along, this is a wonderful thing to be bringing into your world. But for women who are going through divorce, you know, if almost 50 percent of marriages end in divorce. Partners die as we age and, and we um, look to embrace new, new, you know, potentially new sex partners. How do you um, how, how do you support a woman as she's considering this and maybe finding it to be um, something fearful? To um, to partner up after divorce or yes, after exactly. loss of a partner. How, how would you how would you how would you sort of uh, put some you know air under their wings and and let them know that that this is something that they can they can do and that they should be excited about embracing and maybe what are some of the practicalities of just getting back out there? Mm-hmm. So you know you have to have you have to allow yourself to grieve at the pace that you can and because both of those involve a grieving and a loss. So let yourself grieve. For some people. They have been grieving the end of their marriage for years and years and years. So when the marriage and the divorce actually happens, they really are ready to get into dating. So I, people ask me oftentimes, like, when is, when is the right time to start dating? There is no right time. It's super individual. And then other people, they haven't grieved and they haven't done any of, any of the, the self-work of re-identifying who they are. So they need more time after divorce. And so I say you have to really learn how to drown out the advice that you are given because you are going to get heaped on lots of advice on how you should do things and how you shouldn't do things. And it's really about giving yourself space to reclaim who you are, do a re-identifying and then really finding your agency in that process. I love also, I recommend this to, to a lot of people to find someone who is younger than you and younger could be, they have, um, they've been in the dating world a long time um, and or or are pretty adept at dating apps and kind of how the world of dating operates at this time, that they can really kind of get you up to speed about what's common, what what isn't common, what are warning signs, and what is just a normal way of doing it. Because if it's been a while since you've dated, or if you've never been on dating apps, that in and of itself can be really overwhelming. And and then having somebody that's further down the line, someone who has been dating, has been divorced a while, and can really show you that there is hope, that there is kind of beauty and end, that they have been on the other side of this and reclaiming who they are on their own terms. I think both are really important for you. Uh, and then to have fun with this is this is a time to do things that perhaps you couldn't have done with a partner that you had to um, to try new parts of you and see again, kind of we're talking about the sex acts with the yums, the yucks and the yums. Look at the yucks and yums in life too. And also have people in your life that you can 
talk about what the dating experience is like and get get like a buddy system of, hey, this is what's happening. This is what isn't happening. Who are, who are people who are single? Because it can be really difficult if you're out in the dating world after um, loss or after divorce um, to talk with people that, that just don't get it because they haven't been dating in a long time. And so it's helpful to find other people that can have, it just kind of had the same verbiage or they've had the same experiences um, that you have had. Such smart advice to, to find somebody who's, you know, young and sort of facile and is like a jet of dating acts to get you up to speed. But I love this notion of connecting with somebody who's made it through this transition and is thriving in life. And I, I want to re- recommend for any listener right now who is you know, divorcing or just got divorced or is thinking about getting divorced and is thinking, how am I going to reenter the dating pool? I had a fabulous guest on my show. Her name is Laura Friedman Williams. She wrote the memoir available, a memoir of sex and dating after a marriage ends. And Laura chronicles her reentry into dating and sex um, after her almost 30 year marriage ended, you know, in a very, um, upsetting and, and sort of chaotic fashion. And she really re-embraced her sexuality. It's a wonderful and inspiring read. So if you don't have somebody in your personal life, I would recommend using this book as a bit of a mentor. Juliana, I want to ask you a little bit about this notion of, you know, turning to people who are older and, and sort of experience and, and to see, you know, I'm, I'm curious about the age range of your um, of, of your clients. Are people coming in in midlife? Are people coming in in their 60s and 70s? I know from having... Um, another guest on the show um, who, you know, got married at the age of 73, that it's like never too late and never too old. But for somebody who's sitting here thinking like, I'm too old for all of this, what is your response? Mm. Yes, you are not too old. And and that's one of the things that uh, is exciting for me. I always recommend that people get an aging mentor and um, just a, a woman mentor and someone who is, I, I, I had this advice given to me when I was about 12 years of age of a woman that's down the street that said, you should always have friends of different ages and you should have people older than you and younger than you. And that has been such beautiful advice for me. And I have always kept it in my life. And that's the same, no matter what age you are, is you want to have people that are ahead of you and people that are behind you. And I don't mean like below you, but behind you in the age. Right, exactly. And, Chron- chronological and, and, age. <laughs> yes, chronological, yes. And and so what I do, I do work with, uh, with women in their 60s and 70s. And frankly, it's one of my favorite ages to work with because there there's just so much room for self-exploration and there's so much more freedom, even though it, we're not taught that. Which again is the problem of, uh, and why I say that people should have an aging mentor because you need to hear the wisdom that is waiting for you, and you need to hear what women are thinking about and what they have learned and how they have grown into this place of freedom and looking for that kind of camaraderie and that companionship later in life, and that is that is purposeful. One of my uh, mentors was Betty Dotson, and she um, died last year at, at ninety-one. And what a value she was on so many levels in my life. But one of the best ones is that she talked a lot about having an active sex life, that that was really important to her. She talked about really frankly about how her body was aging and what that felt like. She even offered up for me and others to be able to see what her body looked like that she wished she had seen, how a vulva aged. And she's like, everyone wants to see it. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> and I just thought this is such a beautiful gift because we don't live around each other. We don't live in villages um, like we used to. And so we are, we, unless we have people close to, 
close to us. We don't even see the basics of how we're aging. Oh my gosh. And we don't. Juliana, I have to laugh right now because I, if anyone grew up in New York City and remembers Lomans, the the discount shopping yes. place, my mother dragged me to Lomans so many times, and there was definitely a lot of seeing aging bodies because they had these big communal yes. dressing rooms. And I remember being a young girl and looking around and being like, "Whoa! Like, wow! Is this like in, in my future?" So, um, yes. Lo- Lo- yes, Lomans closed, so we can't, fi- we, you know, we don't have that available to any uh, us anymore. But I adore this notion of an aging mentor. Because I feel like we need it just not just for sex, but in every aspect of our lives. We need to see women mm-hmm. whose careers are going or being reinvented. We, um, Do- Dr. Helen Fisher, who I mentioned earlier, who came on my show, she is Match.com um, science advi- chief science advisor. She is an anthropologist. She's with the McKinsey Institute. She is one of the nation's leading experts in sex, and she got married at the age of 73. And it is it. so inspiring. And she shared with, with us uh, on her the episode that people can remain in love. She's actually put longtime couples in MRIs and have watched their brain regions light up with desire for their long-term partner. And that's something that pop culture also does not get right. You know, they get midlife wrong, but they get that wrong as well. You can remain attracted to people that you're in a committed relationship with especially if you're using some of the tools that you just outlined. This conversation, mm-hmm. this sense of novelty, this sense of being, you know, curiosity, right? We we all, you know, we lead different lives than we did, you know, in our 20s and 30s and 40s. Why shouldn't our, you know, why shouldn't our sex lives look a little bit different? So, I Agreed. I, I adore everything that you've just shared right now. So, our time is coming to a, an end. I I do want to dive into a speed round because I could talk to you all day long about this. I want to Cover some quick round. The speed round is a quick one or two word answer uh, that shares a little bit more with our viewers. So I think I think I know the answer to this one, but I want to ask it anyhow. Sex therapy. Is this a, a yes or a no for for just your average person? Not even somebody who's struggling, but sex therapy as a way to explore. It's a yes. Okay, sexual. It's a, it's a hell yes. It's a hell yes. It's like it's yes. put this, you know, click stop. Hit your Google, find your sex therapist, and get going. All right. That's right. Sexual wellness book or podcast that you recommend for more? Mm. Uh, I I love the book Come As You Are. Okay. Come As You Are. That's going in the show notes. And for listeners who are thinking, what's a show note? You'll find the show note and the complete transcript and all the links to the things that we talk about over at acertainagepod.com. Okay. Best vibrator. Uh, the magic wand, Hitachi magic wand. Okay. Best sex toy for beginners. Hmm. Um, there is um, a vibrator through Lilo that I can't think of the name of it, but I can get it to you afterwards to put in the show notes. Right. Um, but it's, it's, um, oh, you know what? I'm going to change this. I'm going to say the uh, barbell um, by Dotson and Ross. And what's a barbell? <laughs> a, barbe- a barbell is, yes, yes. Doesn't that sound interesting? I get so used to the words that I use, I forget that they is something. I, yes. Okay. So the tell barbell us, tell us. is, it's a, it's a heavier stainless steel that um, has two different size balls at the end of it that you, it's, it's like a dildo, but really what it does is it provides pleasure for penetration, but it also helps um, increase your PC muscle strength. 
And uh, it is, it doesn't look scary. It is, um, it's really a beautiful entry point. And so to say the magic wand and the barbell together is uh, my favorite entry for the first time you're looking at a, at a sex toy. Fabulous. And for people who have a, you know, like a drawer full of sex toys and are looking for upgrades, what's a sex toy brand or company that has a wide range of options for people who are curious and want more? Lilo. Lilo. How do you spell Lilo? Mm -hmm. L-E-L-O. L-E-L-O. Okay, everyone, go hit that Lilo.com. Juliana, as I age, this is the last one, as I age, I feel... Excited. Excited. That is the perfect Mm -hmm. note to end on. Me too. This has been a total blast. I've learned so much. Uh, I'm upgrading everything in my life, and I love everything that you shared. It will all be in the show notes. But before we say goodbye, how can our listeners find you and keep following your work? Oh, great. So uh, on all social media uh, platforms, I'm Dr. Juliana Hauser. And um, and then my website is dr-juliana.com. Fantastic. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Join me next Monday when sexual health and menopause specialist nurse Jackie Gianelli helps us navigate biggies like low libido, painful sex, and common sexual dysfunctions. Before we say goodbye, I have a favor to ask. Please take a minute to rate or review a certain age over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This is so easy to do. Just find a certain age on your podcast app, scroll down to the bottom, and tap on the stars to rate or leave a written review. Both matter because reviews and ratings help the show grow. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.